Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Stephanie Hansen, the founder and director of If By Energy, which is a nonprofit that provides services to underserved communities and works to combat the dumping of dogs, abuse, lack of education, and bring to light the resources available. Stephanie has such a broad way of thinking when it comes to the future of animal welfare, and she's only just getting started. That's why we were so excited to bring her on to talk about the importance of shelter environments, implementing beneficial adoption processes, and reprogramming the way we think about animal care as a nation. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? Good. How are you? Really good. We're so excited to chat with you. I know you're doing so much work with your organization, but we always like to hear where everything began. So I'm wondering, were as a child, were you always super into animals? Like how did this organization even like begin to blossom and, and take root? Well, it was an accident. Yes. As a child, I've always loved animals, but I've always had a super soft heart. So if I saw anything hurt or, I mean, I would just cry and cry and cry. And that was as a child. I always had a dog and a cat. Growing up, I could never go in the animal shelters or anything because I was too sensitive. So I just would have to block it out. And for whatever reason, one day I was on social media and I saw an ad or something that said dog EU. And I was like, what in the world is that? And I pushed on it and it just took me down this rabbit hole. It was a dog out of San Antonio and I guess they were euthanizing. And I, they're like, email if you want to save them. And I emailed and they're like, are you going to tag or you rescue? I'm like, what is that? I'm just trying to save them. I don't know what, what I don't know what tag. I don't know. No, no, I'm not. But I, I'm willing to take them. And they're like, well, and they went this whole story and spill and you know how you have to be a rescue and you have to do all this stuff. And I was like, listen, I don't know what all that means, but I'm going to tell you, he better live. <laughs> I'm here to save him. I'll take him. Please don't hurt him. And just tell me what I need to do. Somehow he ended up to me in Dallas from San Antonio. They worked it out and got him to me, and that was in. December 17th of 2018. And that was my first dog. And then within six weeks, I had seven dogs. Oh my gosh. So I went to uh, my first dogs out of DAS locally here. We went and um, a guy named Todd Smith had asked me to go on this deal to see um, a group called Duck Team Six on South Dallas. And so I was like, okay. And I went, I'm glad I went because I ended up meeting some of my great, greatest partners now that I have. But I went and he's like, oh, and I've got to stop by and check on this house. and everything. So we checked on this house. And of course, there were a lot of dogs in the backyard. And all I know is the next morning, he was like, okay, they're, they picked him up and you know, they're going to eventually euthanize. I was like, what do you mean? So I emailed the animal shelter and they're like, well, yes, you know, the chances of them being euthanized are great. And I was like, I'll come get them. So I went down there and um, I wasn't set up as a rescue yet. So I had to adopt them. So I adopted the two labs that day. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I'll take the Roddy too. And so the Roddy... <laughs> She was about to be euthanized. So she was already prepped in the back and we had to carry her out. Oh, wow. But we got her. And now she uh, belongs to a Dallas firefighter. He's her parent. So oh she got to spend gosh. her first night at the station. Aww. And now we're over 300 dogs. 
that we've saved just throughout Texas. And even if I see someone on a post and like, I have this puppy, I need it. You know, I've driven a couple of hours to go get a puppy. And, but mostly I pull dogs off the euthanization list. And all the dogs I've pulled, I've never met. I never met them prior. I don't do shelter walks. I don't go pick up the litter. I see a dog that's about to be euthanized. I'm like, I'll take it. And I just have to figure it out. Sometimes I'll keep them. Before my last office flooded, it was a house in Dallas that was built in 1920 and I renovated it. So I had downstairs was my studio. I do fitness for is my career. And then upstairs, I renovated to apartments for Airbnb. Well, they became dog apartments. And my client owned um, a building behind me and it was five units and they were empty. So I set them up for dog apartments. So for a while, we we had a pretty good thing going. And then that flooded and now I'm back in office building. I have several fosters. I don't have a lot of fosters. I try to push people to the shelters to foster directly through the shelters. My intentions were never to be a dog rescue. You know, my sister called me. She's like, what are you doing? Are Are you crazy? You're too sensitive. You can't handle this. And I'm crying every day. I cry. I've been up, you know, since four o'clock last night crying, trying to get dogs off the EU list. And I just had to toughen up and realize like me being sad over it is not going to change anything. So I had to put my big girl pants on and get to work. Oh my gosh. There's so much I want to get into there. (laughs) But to begin, are you typically working with Dallas Animal Shelter or? I'm actually on the Dallas Animal Commission Board. Amazing. We are a big fan. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you're so sensitive because this is such a hard line of work, even for those of us who like have, are like cold and (laughs) (laughs) those of us have been doing this for a long time. You, you end up getting like some sort of tough skin, you know, to certain things. And I know even some like donors and people who are looking to get involved, sometimes it's just so much, even looking on social media, it feels like the need is so overwhelming. So as someone who kind of just jumped into it and is so sensitive, is there a way you kind of manage your emotions when dealing with like these very heartbreaking cases most a lot of times? It's hard. I think my career, health and fitness has, is probably my saving grace for sure through life. So I know like if things are really bad, I go for a run or go, and I'm not even a runner, but I went last night because it's been a hard weekend with these anesthesia lists and stuff. So I was like, ah, I can't take it. And I was like, okay, just go clear your head. Just go clear your head. And that's really my only saving grace. I don't really, I mean, I was crying on the way over here. I was like, I'm about to do this podcast and I'm crying. <laughs> no, it's, it's really hard on me. I'm not going to lie. I think the wins and the fact that 90% of my dogs were off the EU list. They were deemed aggressive. They were deemed all these things that society is supposed to, want to get rid of and all of them are in amazing homes. So, I mean, that to me is huge motivation and proof that we should never give up on an animal ever. We do not give up. And because of you guys, you've helped me a ton with, I never took medical cases. So this is the first year I've been getting medical cases. And our first really, really big one was Cowboy, the German Shepherd that was ran over in Dallas. So I work with a group called Dowdy Fairy Animal Commission. And Megan is just phenomenal. She works all day at TNR, picking up cats, dropping off cats, all this stuff. And at night, they drive around all down in South Dallas and help dogs that are dumped. There's cameras set up to catch bad people that harm animals. And y'all, I don't know if y'all saw in Dallas where two puppies were murdered. And one of their teammates, Ray, he watches the videos and he woke up and had to see that. 
And then he called Megan and Megan called me crying. She was at work. So I was like, oh my, so I zoomed over there and then Jeremy met me over there. And then my councilman that I'm on the board for is phenomenal. Tanel Adkins. He's phenomenal. I called his office and he had the sergeant for animal cruelty there in 11 minutes. Wow. It was incredible. And now the man, you know, he's in jail. He's been behind bars every since They found him within like 48 hours. Those are the hard cases. And those are the amazing people though, that go out and I can't do that kind of work full time. They do it and all, it's all volunteer. Like none of them get paid for any of this. And so when she called me about the German Shepherd that had been run over, I was like, hey, problem solved. And I, I called DAS and I was like, hey, because it was at night and bets weren't open and so forth. And again, I, I'm not set up with bets for medical cases. Yeah, medical cases. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, DS, I know they'll take them. So anyway, I called and they're like, sure stuff, bring them. So we found someone to bring them, meet me there. And they took them in and they stabilized them and so forth for a couple of days while I could find an actual surgeon and a place for him to go because they, they did the x-rays on him there at DAS. And they said that his, his leg was pretty shattered and they thought it was needed to be amputated. But we just called around, sent off those x-rays, found a vet and they saved his leg. And so you guys did a fundraiser for us. Um, I mean, Megan, they were afraid he wasn't going to live. You know, they thought he was going to die. And now not only is he alive and thriving, but like he has all these goodies from you guys. I think he got his first bed ever. Oh, and his first, I'm still, and he loves. It. I mean, he's like, oh, this is for me. I, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just loving life now, and he's been adopted by the dogs had been dumped. He and a female German Shepherd had been dumped out there in Dedham Ferry, and there's a man that has a some land out there and does farming. His nephew is the one that actually brought him to DAS, and he turned around and now he's adopted him and made him his. So, and he said, this is the first time that he's ever had such a community come around him and support in any area. He would bring Cowboy to the office and was like, he could not believe how many donations and how many things came in and support and help cover medical bills and all those kind of things. I mean, it was just incredible. So we've got to thank y'all. Y'all been our biggest support. That's amazing though, hearing that as a human being, They've never had that sort of community Mm -hmm. come around them. And by connecting with this animal and loving on them, he now has this huge network and like basically like a new little family extension. That's incredible. I actually, I do want to ask, going back just a tiny bit, when you were saying that how you're you're pulling animals that are from the euthanasia list, so they're labeled as aggressive. I'm curious because I, I know I've heard this from previous shelters and rescues that a lot of animals that they've taken in that have been labeled as aggressive, it's not necessarily that that pet is aggressive. It's more so they're stressed out in the shelter environment and things like that. You take the pet out and they're completely different. Is that something that you've experienced? Like most of these animals that are aggressive, you take them in and they're completely different. 99% of the time, it's situational. It's all situations. Just like us, like we're going to behave different in situations, correct? Like one of my board members, he was explaining, he's like, Stephanie, you're a smaller girl and he's a big dude. He's like, if I walk into a room and walk up to you and you, you get cornered, you're going to think I'm aggressive. But I could just be going, hey, I like your handbag, you know, or whatever. It's, it's situational. And I think that we expect animals to be perfect, but we're not perfect. And so how can we, you know, we expect so much from, so, from everything, but we don't understand that, like, we don't want to be set to those standards. We couldn't be. We would fail every time. So, I mean, I tell everyone, I was like, I would be euthanized every day. <laughs> Every day I would be euthanized because I would do something wrong. I think that euthanization should be taken off the table. I don't even think it should be an option unless I was reading this thing about a, a man that um, does a no-kill coalition thing. I don't know all the details. I don't want to talk about him because I'm probably going to get something wrong here. 
But what I did get right is he said it really should only be used if an animal has like multiple organ failure, something that's so horrific that it's the kindest thing to do is not allow them to lay their suffering medically. And I agree with that. I mean, I never want anything to suffer, just like we don't want animal cruelty. We don't want someone to be a dog locked in a small kennel in a home for days. We don't want anything to ever suffer. But I think when we deem something aggressive or we're doing all this massive euthanization, that's our easy out. There's an interesting uh, quick little clip on NRP about Germany. And they have strict regulations. They have a dog tax. They have owners are expected to have well-behaved dogs when they are out in public. They don't, prong collars and electric collars are banned. They uh, test potential dog owners. I mean, there's just so many laws to protect dogs and euthanization is very rare, like it hardly exists. And I think that that's our easy out. Instead of going after the people that are irresponsible, that's who really is at fault here with this problem. And it's, in my opinion, it's emotional abuse because now we're all carrying the load for someone's lack of responsibility or their ego. They don't want their dog, their dog's not going to lose their manhood. And I'm like, well, you need to lose yours then. You know what I mean? Like, come on, seriously? The irresponsible people or the ones that are selfish and want to, the backyard breeders or the ones that don't take care of things and want to make a quick buck, the people that actually care have to carry the load. I think that's wrong. I think that's where it needs to change. That reminds me of um, TikTok or something where they say people go to therapy because of people who should go to therapy. Yeah. Sort of like that. You carry the load of emotions based on somebody else not being able to care properly. Yeah. And it's just hard. It's taxing on society. And the thing is, to me, that's a form of animal cruelty because an animal should never lose its life because we don't want to figure out a way to take care of them or stop the madness. And in Texas, to us, it's just normal. I mean, there's there's just animals everywhere. And I know like there's a lot of places up north where they're like, that's just bizarre. Well, I would love to see like, I think every animal should. I mean, I would love to see us have more Germany standards on our animal welfare. In Norway, they don't have a problem either. And I had a friend, Cameron Westcott, she went to Turkey over the summer and she was like, Stephanie, they have pet ambulances. And I was like, I want a pet ambulance. (laughs) I was like, that's so cool. Like they value them that much. It's so interesting too, because I feel like when people think of other countries in terms of like animal treatment and like animal laws, they think of it as almost like third world. They think that the United States is, is a very sophisticated place that has so many um, things that protect animals and whatnot. And they tend to look at the others as if they're lesser. So it's so interesting to hear that like Germany and there are places that have policies that we should be implementing here in the United States and don't. I do have a nonprofit and I, but I started doing, I do sports education. So my thing was really, I started in Nicaragua and I started it before I ever got into dog welfare. So when I started pulling dogs on this, I was like, okay. And I started learning like, what is tag? What is Chris? It's like, wait, I have a 501c3. I can do this. Okay, sign me up. <laughs> Yes, people don't have material and they don't have resources, financial resources. The dogs run free. The animals run free. They, and as sad as it is, as far as like food and so forth, well, the people don't have it either. So, I mean, it's not like they're neglecting or anything like that. They just don't have the resources. But if they were given the resources, euthanization, the thought of it just wouldn't even cross their minds. I mean, this just isn't something that is even up for discussion. They, the communities will rally around and like help each other and help the animals and be like, oh, did you see so-and-so's dog? And, you know, where did the dog, oh, they were running down the beach. Mm -hmm. 
I feel like for us to be such a sophisticated country, we've got this wrong. And I feel like you're only as strong, you know, if you want to think about it, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Well, it's kids aren't our weakest link or even the elderly. It's the animals because animals depend 100% on us. We have complete control of their lives. They don't have a say. When they do open their mouth and try to talk, they're too loud. They're too vocal. They bite. They this. They that. They're not allowed to use their mouth for anything. We time shut. We have muzzles. We have all kinds of things to keep them shut. So they don't have a voice. And we're supposed to be their advocates and we're supposed to have, you know, dominion over them. Well, dominion doesn't mean abuse. It means take care of. And we, I don't feel like we do a good job of it. Not good enough. We do a lot better. I think you've touched on like such an important point that we, we come back to time and time again, because you are in Texas. And I know overall, a lot of Southern states, they've got this like a high capacity of, in all of their shelters. There's so many animals. A lot of times that's forcing euthanasia. And touching on what you were saying about Nicaragua, I think there are a lot of barriers to people adopting these animals before they get euthanized. And it's really difficult based on income, based on their housing size, based on just general discrimination. So with that in mind, I'm wondering, what does your adoption process look like? Are you a good person? Oh my gosh. The person matters more than everything else. And we should know better, especially being in America, you can be rich one day and poor the next. You can have a great house one day and not have anything the next day. So, and I'm in the city. So I, I adopt out to people in high rises. If you live in an apartment, that's okay with me, as long as it's okay with the office. And to me, the person matters. A lot of the dogs that have ended up in the shelter came from a backyard. A lot of dogs we pulled off the chains. I mean, the first dogs I adopted other came out of a backyard. So having a yard doesn't mean you're a good, good parent. Having a huge house doesn't mean you're a good parent or a good pet owner. I mean, so it's the person. That's what matters to me. I don't have a set adoption fee. And I know, you know, I've gotten kind of made people upset with that. But I do have a donation, but I leave it up to the people. What I care most about is are they going to invest in their, in their pet? Are they going to invest in the quality of their life? And that matters more to me. I didn't get into this, again, trying to start a rescue. It was more of like a Hail Mary kind of situation that just keeps building. And I'm not even trying to. <laughs> I'm like, no, no. But I won't stop until there's change. I mean, my goal is to make change. My goal is to say we're not euthanizing. We're, we're going to take all the resources available because there's a lot. There's a lot of resources out there. And there's a lot of people, like you said, they may not can foster or they may not can adopt, but they will donate and they will help. And I mean, you guys are seeing this through Cuddly. I mean, the amazing compassion out there for people, the resources are available. So there's no excuse for the pets to be in the conditions that are going on. I think we just need to rally and kind of reprogram our system. Definitely. I think going into so many like different processes that you see implemented in shelters too, it's heartbreaking because you're just like, what is your end goal here with like the idea that people have to pay a fee to take their animal that was lost back and like all these different things. Free adoptions. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And you're like, you're euthanizing animals. Shouldn't you be like giving them away? <laughs> it is wild. And I mean, I know every shelter is different. There are some that have really backwards process and there are some that are very forward thinking and are trying to change things. And I mean, I do love hearing that you're kind of working with the shelter and like working to give them more fosters and really funneling people back that way. Cause I know that's imperative. It's hard for the people to identify where 
where a rescue is, but they, everyone knows where their shelter is because you can Google it. Well, and again, so, I mean, I understand that you've got to be careful with the free adoptions because you do have the bad and anytime, you know, you've got predators out there. I mean, that's just life where there's good, there's bad. So there's dog fighters and there's a lot of bad things and they go for the free dogs, you know, for bait and so forth. So I feel like it's not about the money, but it's about the screening. I think screening should be more in depth. I mean, all of my adopters, we either do a home visit or with COVID, I allowed videoing and pictures. And you can tell, I mean, someone's like, what if they give you a fake home? I was like, seriously, like you can tell, like I became friends with a lot of my adopters. I still get pictures and they're like, we're sorry, we're bugging you. It's like, bug me, please bug me. Like, <laughs> I love staying updated. It lets me know that they're okay. And it makes me know like this is worth it. And it gives me the motivation to keep going when things do get too emotional. So if we would all work together, a, a lot of rescues seem to fight and a lot of people seem to want to be the one. And I would love to see rescues really not exist. If we would strengthen our communities as a whole, then there really wouldn't be a need. The shelter could be the main source. And I'm kind of working on a thing. I, I think it needs to be more of a public-private partnership versus just all the pressure on the city government because then they have all these restraints and, and rule, all these things that restrict them. And if we would just come together and kind of restructure how we do this, I think we could be a lot more effective. I love that you say that too. I've heard that from a lot of the rescues that I work with is in the future, rescue's goal is to not have to rescue. That's the goal that everyone wants to get to is just there be not a need for rescue. Yeah, I was like, I would like to be able to sleep so I can do my career. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, I cry, I get so upset. And I'm like, where are the cookies? Where's the ice cream? <laughs> I guess where I've eaten more ice cream and pizza the last couple of years than I ever have in my whole life. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but again, it's worth it. And, you know, and I love animals. And the, the crazy part is I'm allergic to dogs and cats. Oh, my God. I'm like itching and my ear, my nose is red and my ears are red. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just allergic, but I'm fine, you know? And they're like, you're what? I was like, just, let's just keep going. <laughs> no wonder you had to give them their own apartments. I know. Yeah. I mean, I have two dogs that are rescues. They're golden doodles though. So they I really don't have any issues with them, but they were rescues from a hoarding situation. So, and I got them before I ever even got into rescue, but I've never purchased a dog. Okay. So I think that's worth talking about because I know so many people when they're adopting, I mean, it's hard enough to adopt a dog from any rescue because everyone has all these uh, requirements to go to. But then I think a lot of people think it's that much harder to get more of like a purebred or like Mm -hmm. a designer breed dog. So what was it like for you adopting your doodles? You know, it was fine because one of my friends from my hometown in Longview, East Texas, she'd actually posted them. And again, it's social media gets me in trouble. I try to, I don't get on it very often. It seems like, well, the, when I do, I get in trouble. She posted these cute little white fuzzy dogs. And she was like, Oh, you know, we have these. And I was joking with my sister. I was like, you take one and I'll take one. And then a week later, my friend, she calls me. She's like, Hey, when are you going to come and pick up the puppies? We've been, I had this rescue holding them for you. Cause I told him you're my friend. And I was like, Misty, like, are you kidding? Like I'm busy. <laughs> I was traveling back and forth from Nicaragua and I had people coming here from Nicaragua. And it was just like not the right time. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I ended up driving down to Longview. And then my sister's like, oh no, Stephanie, we're not ready for a dog. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I came back to Dallas with two puppies. Because it was through her, it wasn't that difficult. I do know that when COVID hit, a lot of people were contacting me and they're like, wow, you're responding so fast. I'm like, well, what do you mean? You, you reached out. Of course I'm going to respond. I want to get a, you know, my goal is to get the dogs into homes as soon as possible. 
I don't have holding periods. I don't have all that. I, I do get a medical checkups. You know, I send them right to the vets. I have amazing vets. And I handle all that stuff, but I want them in a home. So even if they're through medical treatment, we get them in the home and I still will continue on with that. I've had a lot of great adopters though. They're like, we've got it. We want to go to our vet and we're going to, and I was like, okay. And then they said, here's new updates here. You know, I've been super fortunate, but I try to make it as easy as possible in a positive experience. And I've had, I mean, people are like, oh, well, I like it when they reach out and they're kind of not aggressive about it, but like consistent. Consistency is important to me. And I do know there's a lot of people that make it hard. And I had um, actually one of my board members' sister, which has this amazing career. This, she just bought this beautiful home. And she tried to adopt two golden doodles from a doodle rescue. And they wouldn't adopt to her because she's a single working female. And she said, okay. So she went and bought two. And I'm like, that's just so unfortunate because she's a fabulous pet parent. So I've seen a lot of that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, well, you know, we've really got to tone it down and come together. There's just too much division, I feel like, and too much. Everyone thinks that their way is the best way or, you know, they're superior because they know because of this or that. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> again, a lot of the stuff circumstantial and you can't always judge everything by circumstance. You know, they always say like test the seasons. You really don't know what you're dealing with until you've seen people or animals or, you know, everything's trial and error. So you, ha- you have to see it through everything. And that's when you know if this is legitimate stay or not. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of these things have been given that much of a, a chance to even know that. Definitely. It's interesting how you talked about your process too, where it sounds like when you're moving animals into homes, a lot of times it's kind of like a foster to adopt situation where they're like not a hundred percent yet. And you're going to like coach them through it, but you're not going to wait on this animal getting moved into a home because of their medical needs or, or waiting on something else. And I think I actually know (laughs) that a lot of shelters and rescues were at a standstill during COVID because they like couldn't get their animals spayed and neutered because everyone was so overwhelmed. Whereas it's like, if maybe people had more of that idea in mind, things could have moved a little bit more quickly and more animals could have been saved even. I mean, I know so many were, but I think that's such an interesting way to go. What I would do is set, go ahead and have the appointment set up an agreement that they would show up and then I would follow up. And if, if they didn't show up, I'd be like, but that really didn't happen. Very rarely did that ever happen. And there was always a legitimate reason. And then it always got solved. That's in our contract that it's agreement. They will be spayed and neutered and so forth. But I keep everything really simple. It's a one page contract. Some of my clients are attorneys and they, they tell me like, Stephanie, contract's only as good as a person signing it. And you know, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. So I just try to keep things simple simple and clear. You get muddled down and all these too much of anything. And then you can't even, you can't even see the forest for the fire. So that, or how, how are you saying that? <laughs> forest for the trees. I don't know. I, I've heard you say Bridget and I'm like, I got to remember that one. Yeah. I hope there's no fire. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, know, I was like, I feel like all this is kind of like a hellfire though. We work a lot off emotions and I try to take that into consideration too. When people are when you're dealing with rescues and things like that, I mean, there's no qualifications for it. So anybody can get into rescue, literally no qualifications. I mean, it's someone saying, oh, I'll foster. And that's another thing why I don't put a lot of my, my information out on social media and on things. I mean, we're just now starting to do that. I kept everything kind of just under the radar and just head down and just save dogs as I could. 
Because when I first got my first dog, I mean, I had like people all over the USA going, oh, will you foster for, you know, trans? I'm like, who are, you know, and people, you just don't even know them. And it's just, you, it can take you down such a strange rabbit hole. I think that there should be a little bit more streamlined qualifications. And again, if we could lessen the need, that would take out a lot of the crazy stuff and just kind of strengthen our shelter system, strengthen our units, like what you guys were talking about in the cities and so forth. I think that would just bring a better quality for everybody all the way around. Absolutely. Well, so someone who is driven so much by their emotions like you, I have to imagine that it can get, of course, overwhelming with rescue. And of course, I think a lot of times you're so driven by your emotions that you're safe first, ask questions later. So I'm wondering, is there any like process that you have in mind to keep your rescue sustainable? Because we know so many rescuers who are like, and now I have my fifth credit card <laughs> that's maxed out for all these docs. Well, I don't use credit cards, but I have on my account, it was like somebody, what are you doing? Like, are you, I'm really confused here with all these like boarding and vet, what is this? Are you in the animal business now? Are you in the health and fitness? You know? And I was like, oh, just be quiet. Because <laughs> again, I wasn't, I haven't done a lot of fundraising. I haven't done a lot of really anything because I wasn't trying to build a rescue. It just kept going. So, I mean, I've spent a lot of money. I don't buy a lot of handbags and I don't, I've made some sacrifices, but that's okay. You know what I mean? I feel like it'll all come back around and I'm not that worried about it. I would rather spend my money on saving a life. I love shopping, but then, you know what I mean? Then something <laughs> that's just going to sit in my closet. It's like, that's just not as rewarding. As looking at a picture and being able to tell, I can tell you the story of every single dog up there. I can tell you where they're at. There's nothing been great, a greater reward than that for me. I've gotten to do some cool things in life and, and you know, with my nonprofit. And even in Nicaragua, we have a sewing school and they're going to start making like bandanas and things for the dog. Aww. Oh my gosh. I'm just trying to, it takes a lot of time and COVID kind of put a little wrench in things. So I haven't been able to travel to go there, but, and I don't even speak Spanish. So we're having to do things seem to do everything the hard way. <laughs> but the majority of people love animals. And a lot of times there's been things that have gone wrong with people because they didn't know what to do. I didn't know what rescue was. I didn't know what any of this stuff was. And so I feel like instead of if we would stop like just attacking everyone and start working with everyone and start education and like explaining, this is what this means. And this is what this is. And these are the shots that your pets need and stuff like that. Then people are like, oh, and they'd have a better understanding. And that too will cut out a lot of the mistakes that are made by just lack of knowledge. Because I think we've all been there as well. And I don't know, I just feel like I just would like to see a better support system. And through default, I've been getting some amazing volunteers lately. It just seems to grow. And they're just phenomenal. And they're starting to like, okay, Stephanie, we've got to start doing the, the social media. We've got to start. And I was like, okay, well, y'all can take it. They're like, great, we got it. <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. So we did a, uh, my council member, Mr. Adkins, did a first pilot program. So the city of Dallas, they put in a lot of money to start doing a homeless solutions program. And so he did a pilot in our district eight. I was told when Ed was director of DS, he said that 70% of the animals that come into DAS are from South Dallas and 70% of the doctors come from South Dallas. I was like, okay, so this tells us we've got some work to do. That's a telltale sign to me. So anyway, we did a pilot program for Homeless Solutions, and we set up, we had one officer, which is also on the board of Homeless Solutions for my district. Officer King from DS was there. And then I had like 10 volunteers show up and help. And then we even had one of our fosters, brought one of our foster dogs, and some adopters came to adopt, and they ended up adopting her, Jolene, at the same 
so they were all there and it was just really awesome. And like the husband's in the military. And I mean, I don't know, they just, it was just such a fun experience. And we gave dogs baths. So we had a station and some of the volunteers gave dogs baths, which was phenomenal. I mean, I'm like, how did I, how do these awesome volunteers come together like this? Like, I don't think we give the community enough credit and people that are spending their time, you know, they're educated. They have these careers, you know, they work like you guys do all day long. And then they spend their free time out giving dogs they've never met for people they've never met bass, putting flea and tick ointments on them, picking out harnesses and collars and like working with the, the people saying like, look, this dog is X, Y, and Z. That's amazing for me is to see people that don't have to choose to come out and use their skills and talents and time and, and resources to make a difference in the community. And I feel like if we were to function like that on a continuous basis, that's where true change. I mean, it, w- it would be inevitable. It would just change. Things would change for the better. Absolutely. And the way you're describing it too, it just sounds so fun to volunteer for you. <laughs> it should be fun. We love animals, right? Like your puppy, like how much joy do your dogs bring to you? That's how much fun it should be. I cannot go into shelter. I have a problem with that because I'm like, okay, if I can't go into shelter and I love animals, but if I can't go there because I leave and I'm just, I'm destroyed. I'm like crying. I can't sleep, you know, and I have their faces in my head and I'm just like, oh my God, I, you know, I got to say, that's a problem. Like we should walk in there. Our shelter should be so amazing that it's a fun place to go. Like people want to volunteer. They want to work there. I'm like, what do you mean you can't hire? Why can't you hire? animal lovers and they get paid to do it that's like that's a win like especially in today's time with COVID and so forth people have really woken up and decided like hey do we want to live our life doing this job that we hate or do we want to work maybe not make as much money but work in a situation where because people realize they don't need as much too it's selling down has became like the cool thing to do and so they're like we want to spend our life doing a job where we feel rewarded emotionally physically and financially well if you're not rewarded working in a shelter and you're depressed, like you really can't give the best care to the dog either. If you come home and you're sad that day and you can't, you know, you're relying on your pet to give you emotional love and they do, they give it to you. But if you're sad and then you have a sick dog or you have something that can't give that love back to you, that's where I think a lot of accidents also happen because you've got two people in need and no one there to help. And our helpers can't be in need when our dogs are the ones that need. So I think we've got to make some changes. We've got to set environments up where the dogs can get the true healing and help that they need because they're broken when they come to us with good reason. They're for a reason and it's never normally a positive one. So we need to build up an environment that people can go and and have that love to give instead of walking out, destroyed themselves. Preach. Like, say it, girl. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. No, I know it's what we've just been speaking to different shelter operators. And I know that's what a lot of them say. It's like, you're working 10 hours a day and you walk up to the front desk and you're dealing with a hard person, customer service, or someone walking in, dumping off like a cardboard box full of puppies. And then you walk back and you've got to euthanize and then you walk somewhere else. And it is exhausting work. And I think it does need to be fun. I mean, honestly, I know we've popped into some shelters that we really love and I'm telling you, it's better than like any hobby. Like I would rather go in and play with like kittens than go bowling. Like that should be date night for everyone. <laughs> right? I mean, uh, you're going to have to share with me which shelters those are. That's amazing. <laughs> because that's important. I think 
we've got to set things up differently. When I hear that the reasoning for the, the euthanization, it's not funds. It's not because some shelters are heavily funded. I'm like, okay, you have the resources. are like, yeah, but they're not thriving in this environment. Change the environment. Clue number one. Okay, if they're not thriving, that our, our job as a shelter, our job as animal advocacy and welfare is to protect animals, correct? So if they're in a situation they're not thriving, change the situation. So if they're not thriving in a home, we take them out. If they're not thriving in the shelter, what does that tell us? We have control over that. We change the environment. <laughs> Absolutely. With all this in mind, I mean, it sounds like you were kind of getting up and running when COVID hit. I'm wondering, did you have to pivot any of you, the work you were doing or were you in a place where you were... No, you're... <laughs> no, COVID... <laughs> I mean, I was running, but again, so I was under the radar. Like most people were like, who, what? You know, didn't even know like I existed or anything. And I liked it that way. It was fine because I was, again, I wasn't trying to put myself out there. I wasn't fundraising. I wasn't asking for donations. I don't do pledges on social media. I don't even have a pledge I don't list and all that kind of stuff. So there's really no benefit for me. And I mean, it's a lot of cost, as you guys know, and a lot of time and, and effort. I mean, I have some friends and some people that are like, what do you need, Steph? And they've been gracious and, and kind and helped me do some things. And some of my clients, I mean, my clients, honestly, I'd have them in my office and studio. And I was like, sorry for training. I was like, I had to bring a puppy today or whatever. But a lot of them have gotten adopted. And even my chiropractor was taking a dog home and fostering. Oh, so I really just kind of rallied my my local little network. And um, some of my friends were like, you're doing what? And then I haven't seen them for a while. I think, again, more people are animal lovers than not. And I think it, me getting into it has allowed a lot of other people to see the need. because. If you're not around it, you don't understand the need. And you just think, oh, well, our city, we're doing good. They're great. I'm like, well, that's not quite the truth. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, this is how I got the, they're like, oh, you know, I just tell the situations. And I'm like, what? And it's just, I think it's just become bringing awareness too and kind of bridging the divide of un- the understanding and, and also letting people know, like, you don't have to go out and start your own rescue. Like you can make a difference. You can have $5 can make a difference. You can spend an hour and make a difference. You can pick a dog up from a shelter and give it a transport. That made a difference. That saved a life. You can share on social media. That make, that saves a life. You can tell a story to your friends. I mean, everything that you do in a positive manner to network, socialize, support, whatever an animal is saving lives and contributing to the positive change and positive direction. So there have been a few things that you've been saying through this conversation that I think you sound like a bit of like a, a rescue, like a godfather. <laughs> You've got friends everywhere because of your adopters. Like they become a huge network. And then you've got your friends like in other places. And I love what it really entails is that your passion is so contagious and you're bringing it in such a loving and understanding way that other people are catching the the bug. So I think it's, so amazing. Um, and I think that's what we all need, right? Is like to everyone become like this little independent rescuer so that when they see a dog, it's like, okay, I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Because I mean, that's, that's where the change happens. And that's, you know, there's power numbers. And so there's when, when everyone's like talking about the rescue dogs, A, it just it makes it cool. It's a positive conversation. The past history of the dog may be a sad one and a negative one. But the outcome can be a positive one. Just like on Cuddly, the dogs that you guys advocate for, the story is sad. It's, you know, could be considered a negative situation. 
But because of what y'all do and all your supporters and everything that's been given and donated, the outcome is it's life changing. Literally, it, it saves these animals lives. And that is also inspiring and keeps the, the people that are on the, the front line or whatever in the trenches out doing what they do is when they have a support and a, so many rescues. I mean, it's interesting because I see a lot of rescues, you know, if you look and pull up like the 501 information on GuideStar, you know, different things. And you say like, wow, they have so much money. That's incredible. Like, oh, my goodness, they've done all this fundraising, all this stuff. It's like, OK, well, where are the animals? Where are the stories? Where are the, the, the doctors? Like. You know, you don't see a lot of that. I've met so many people that have literally lost everything because they've given their time, their homes. You know, they get evicted because they have 13 dogs in their home because they went and they just couldn't let them die or they picked them off a street. And I mean, but they are just die hard. I mean, Melissa, that just helped us with the kitten Ebony. I mean, she just doesn't know how to say no, but she's the kindest, hardest person ever. You just want to be my Melissa. Sometimes you have to draw a line, but at the same time, you can't falter because it's like, She's doing stuff that other people would never do or even know where to begin or or just couldn't. It's just what you guys provide is an avenue for those kind those people to continue to go out and do what they do, but yet get the help and the resources that are needed to do it and do it the right way. That's why we feel so lucky to work with people like you, though, because I think you guys are doing these things every day and you're seeing these dogs every day. And so we love to be able to be like, hey, everyone. You would not believe this story and like being able to help an invisible dog, like have that voice and like be in front of a bunch of people's eyes and understand like this is happening in your backyard and let's all team up together and create this like amazing wave of change. It's like, we look to you guys who are like doing it every day and we're like in awe and we're like, oh, the least we can do is like, just be like a little spotlight on you. Oh, but it's incredible. I mean, when we were showing up for the, the donations for Cowboy, I couldn't wait to get to the office every day. I mean, that was more exciting to me to get to the office to see what <laughs> delivered. I mean, it was like Christmas every day. I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I mean, it was so exciting, like opening the boxes. And I don't even know if we could ever tell the donors how grateful and to you guys how grateful we are for that. Like, I don't know if you'll ever really know, but I mean, it is amazing. Even some of the volunteers that have came when they came to the office like, Oh my gosh, this, what is this? You know, they're like, wow. And they had worked with some other rescues that are actually really large. And they were like, gosh, we have a storage and, you know, the, the fosters have keys and they can go in and get what they need. But they're like, it's always like mix match things. And they're like, you have like all this, you know, pro plan and all this, like, all this amazing stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, and that was just from Cowboy. And I was like, Cowboy is going to be fed for a year because of this, like he's, he's living live and he loves those treats. Oh, he loves those, the backcountry. Oh, the backcountry ones. Those are so, my dogs love those. Yeah. So the dogs are grateful because they, most of these dogs have never had toys. They've never had treats. It's interesting to see some of them try to play with a toy at first. They're like, what, what is that? What y'all are doing is fabulous and helping cover vet bills. There's only so much you can reach out to your personal friends or, you know, people get tired of hearing it. And you guys give an avenue. I was like, and that's what I was explaining to people. I was like, I don't even know any of these people. They don't know me. I've never seen that, you know? And it's like, they did this for a dog in need. I mean, that's powerful. That's amazing. And I found you guys actually through one of my volunteers and one of my art sponsors. That's a partner with one of my clients. And so they were like, you need to sign up with Cuddly. And I was like, oh, I don't do all that fundraising stuff. Like, whatever. And I was like, why did I just say no to something of someone I respect? 
like, let me at least check it out. That was disrespectful. So I checked it out and then, you know, had reached out and so forth. And so, so and I was like, this is the most incredible thing ever. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm really like, grateful I did. I mean, we're grateful too. I'm especially you're clearing out the euthanasia list. I mean, that's what we're all about. It's like, let's save those lives. <laughs> let's get them into happy, loving homes. Send them. Every firefighter should have a dog. Or... I know. And the Deep Ellum Dallas firefighters, they all do. They're all huge dog advocates. So, and actually Molly Starr, her dad got the award for the Deep Ellum Firefighter Department. It's past year too. So she's got a good dad. So sweet. I know. I love everything you've been saying. We don't want to take up too much of your time because I mean, Lord, balancing like a studio and rescue, I can only imagine how your life must be budgeted. Like every second of every day must be <laughs> like occupied. We always like to ask some kind of fun questions. So currently, do you have any fosters or dogs in your home? This feels like a silly question. I know, but. Yes, of course. Um, and I'm about to pick up uh, one from the EU list that was supposed to be EU yesterday, but he got an extension. His name's Frazier. So we tagged him yesterday. Well, he really didn't get extension. I tagged him, but they gave me till today to pick him up. So we picked up four, four over the weekend. We picked up. Yeah. So we, you don't stop, do you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, so of the animals in your home, if one were president, what would be the first thing they did? Oh goodness. Make sure every dog had treats. <laughs> <laughs> it's bizarre to think that there are dogs that have lived almost their whole life without like having a toy or having a treat or a bed. There's some dogs that live the whole life and never been touched. Right. Oh, that does make me sad. We get, we get a lot of feral dogs. Ugh, it's so heartbreaking. So how about this? What is the naughtiest thing an <laughs> animal has ever done in your home? Oh, gosh. Where do I begin? <laughs> One, they just destroy everything. I guess chewing up my, my favorite sofa I ever had. Oh. Yeah. They go for the one favorite thing you have. Mm-hmm. Oh, they chewed massive holes in a huge leather. So well, I don't buy leather anymore either. But like <laughs> I had it then. It was this gorgeous L-shaped, beautiful sofa that I loved. They chewed massive holes in it. But I didn't get rid of them. I, those were my first adopted rescue dog. Oh, my gosh. I know it's always the one thing that you're like. I Maybe it's because you have your smell on it or something. But yeah. <laughs> I think they were terrors. Oh, my well, my YSL shoes. Maybe that was the other part that Ugh, the shoes kill me. I know. We all learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. My dog, he likes to just chew one. So I have one to look at that's perfect and is wonderful. And then he leaves me one that's just completely wrecked. It's almost like more painful because you're like, I have one good one, but I can't do anything with a left shoe. Well, I have a crazy story on that. So I had a pair of sandals that that happened to, and I took them into Nordstrom. So I was like, look, and I was like, one, I was like, look, I know it's not y'all's fault, but I just need to like get a right shoe. <laughs> y'all, they replaced them for free. <gasps> Whoa. I love Nordstrom. I mean, I've been a fan ever since. I was like, what? And they're like, okay, we need to get this word out there. <laughs> yeah. PSA Nordstrom, I'm going to be heading your way this, this weekend. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I can't believe they did that. It was a pair of Tory Burch sandals. Gotta love good customer service. Yep. Oh my gosh. So we have our, our last question. It's a little trickier, but do you have like one life motto or, or something that you tell yourself like religiously to get you through all these emotional situations? 
Well, my dad always told me, do what you love and you'll always succeed. So nice. I love that because it's like you could do what you don't love, but you could still fail. So it's like you might as well be trying to do what you love, right? (laughs) Well, and I love animals and I want to see change. And that clearly is driving me because this is the hardest thing probably I've ever done in my life by far. And I can't stop. And I'm not trying to grow something. I'm trying to make change. And so, but I'm not even trying to grow it. It's just, it's growing without trying. Like I've done everything to try to stop. You know, I've been harassed. I've had all these things. I'm like, yes, please tell people I'm a bad person. So they don't ask me. (laughs) Please tell them they don't ask me. I was like, do me a favor. But it just keeps getting legs. So I guess that's just proof of like loving something enough that you just don't give up. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I've loved this so much. It was so wonderful getting to know you and thank you for sharing part of your day with us. Thank you guys for having me. Stephanie's passion is absolutely infectious and I know we have definitely caught the bug from chatting with her. It's amazing to hear about all of her amazing successes as well as the community she's building. If you want to learn a little bit more about If by Energy, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C U D D L Y. Thanks, guys.